everyone, this is Ashley Blackman and I am the President-Elect for United Advanced Practice Registered Nurses of Georgia and you're hearing today our Unity uh, Talks podcast. I'm interviewing uh, Dr. Ariel Banks and last time we talked about um, uh, racism and social disparities in healthcare and we're going to continue that conversation today. I'm very excited about it. Uh, Dr. Banks, if, is it okay if I call you Ariel for the rest of this conversation? Yes, of course. I'm not picky. Okay, great. And if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, that would be awesome. So like Ashley said, I'm now Dr. Ariel Banks. I just recently got my doctorate in nursing, um, but I'm a family nurse practitioner and always a nurse at heart. And I'm also a part of a couple um, advocacy groups. One, the People's Uprising, which is a racial justice, a social justice organization under the city of Atlanta. And then um, also, although I'm not able to be as active as I would like, the Georgia Nurses Association um, Social Justice Task Force. Awesome. And I just really appreciate you joining us today and us talking about this. Um, one of the things I just wanted to jump right into, last time we talked about um, racism and racial disparities in uh, the workplace setting and how we address that with, uh, uh, as a nurse in that setting with managers and patients uh, and colleagues. And today I wanna talk about kind of how can we be aware of that as providers, um, what is kind of in, ingrained in our system that thankfully through uh, the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement, we're becoming more aware of what's ingrained and how we can get rid of it. Um, one of the things, I don't know if you saw this article, but there are a group of nephrologists that are pushing to remove um, the difference uh, in the GFR calculations on chemistry labs. So um, if anybody looks at chemistry panels, you'll see that there's a, a creatinine and a BUN for renal, and then there's a calculation of the glomerular filtration rate for um, uh, the, to, ref, to reflect kidney function. And there's always two numbers. There's your regular number, and then there's literally another number that says African-American. And it, show, it gives kind of that uh, allowance of um, extra protein uh, because African-Americans genetically have more muscle mass. Um, and so that gives uh, leeway for that. And so the GFR is always a little bit higher than the other GFR in patients with uh, chronic kidney disease. So the movement is to remove that. What are your thoughts on that? I think that that's a, that would be a huge disservice because you're not taking into consideration the whole patient. So, you know, historically, healthcare has become very standardized to the Eurocentric white race, and that's just what it is. Um, a lot of people don't want to accept that fact, but it's true in research, it's true in standards of care. And when we talk about standards of care, we're talking about, you know, golden standards that we are supposed to abide by and that are part of evidence-based practice. And these specified um, studies that specifically look at race, ethnicity, and even gender when it comes to labs or you know, practices that you would do um, just for a regular checkup, they're few and far between, and that needs to change. And so I think you know this push in order to, I would I get I would assume just make it a little more simplified, um, 
would be going in the wrong direction. That's interesting. I wasn't expecting you to, to say that. So uh, part of their argument is that um, African-Americans are not being treated as aggressively as uh, other ethnicities because that number is different. And so the request was if we, if we just had one GFR and it was lower, maybe we would catch chronic kidney disease sooner in the African-American population. Um, but I think obviously being aware that there are differences is important, but is this one of those differences that uh, is actually harming the African-American community? So maybe more research needs to be done into that before, before we make a decision. Yeah, I can see on both sides. However, I feel like if you make everyone the same on paper, you, I don't know, I guess you would try to take out those biases, but they're already there. And I feel like sometimes they're needed because like I said, you should be paying more attention to the African-American community. Obviously our, we're more susceptible to sodium and glucose changes and things like that. So having that there as a constant reminder, you know, there are some differences. I feel like that's what's important. And it's not so much, you know, having that number the same for everyone that's going to make that change to be more aggressive or mm. to pay more attention to things like that. So maybe instead of um, changing, the, you know, taking away the African-American number, maybe up updating the guidelines, like if their GFR is 50, you need to, to treat them more aggressively than anybody else with a GFR of 50. <clears throat> Interesting. Well, thank you for that. Um, another thing that came up in uh, the literature was a review showing that um, uh, pulse ox levels are inaccurate. Uh, the more it seems like melanin messes with the sensor reading because it, it relies on light um, to be accurate. And uh, I don't remember being taught that. And, um, and when I've talked with my colleagues, a lot of them haven't been taught it either. And yet uh, I was talking with a, a respiratory therapist and he said, um, oh, this was something that came out in the eighties. I just assumed they had addressed it. And I was like, we've always learned about the nail polish thing or, you know, the artificial nails for the light distortion. But now that you mention it, it makes sense that a darker skin color would distort the light. Um, so, I can see where he's coming from. You know, this has already been out there, so it should have already been taken care of, but there are a lot of things that have been, I mean, the BMI has been around for decades and right. that's a biased marker of health. And that's Absolutely. something that we use for a lot of things regarding, you know, starting treatment or recommending certain things. And it's just not a great indicator for people of color because we tend to have more muscle mass or, you know, I know that people like to say big bone, but you know, there is a difference in bodily structures that the BMI does not account for. Right. And so even me going to my yearly physical, I could be deemed as being overweight and I'm not nearly as close to being overweight, but I have, I do have a lot of muscle mass. And so mm -hmm. I always, 
a little more than the standard BMI would allow. Um, so do you think there needs to be racial differences in BMI? I think we should just take out BMI as it is. I and <laughs> It's just not, it's antiquated. We haven't really updated it at all. A lot of providers are kind of taking it out of their practice as well. And like I said, it goes back to looking at the whole patient. Um, I live a pretty healthy lifestyle. I eat pretty well and I exercise and, and you're diminishing me to this one number that's supposed mm-hmm. to be the gold standard indicator for health. And that's just, it's just not feasible and it's not practical. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. So you had said you had some thoughts about um, other standards of measurement, like high blood pressure and other things. What What are your thoughts about uh, what we're looking at when we look at patients? You said earlier, you don't, you think it, that there shouldn't be this kind of blank standard paper for our, that's okay. This is what, this is cookie cutter for everybody. Um, what are your thoughts about other standards of care, or other measurements that we use? So my project um, initially in my doctoral program was supposed to be a hypertension pilot in um, barbershops and specifically focusing on African-American males because when it comes to health, um, just in general, but especially hypertension and diabetes, high cholesterol, it's so disproportionate that they're affected at higher rates so just being able to meet them where they are, because a lot of African-American men don't like to seek health care in a traditional setting. So the barbershop is supposed to be the safe haven for um, African-Americans. I since had to change that um, project because of COVID, and I wasn't obviously able to go into the barbershops, especially since they were closed for much of 2020. So, <clears throat> but during that research, I found a lot of things that I didn't learn in nursing school or in nurse practitioner school or even in my doctoral level. And that's, you know, when you get to the doctoral level, it's very um, individualized and, you know, you're driving your research and things that you're interested in. So that's always been something that I was very interested in. And looking at that research, that African Americans are more susceptible to sodium and that, you know, we tend to be a little more sensitive to certain biomarkers that indicate a risk for heart disease or hypertension that as a whole, as you know, healthcare providers, I feel like we don't pay enough attention to. Mm. So we always know, you know, diet is a huge indication indicator for health and how you're, you know, what diseases you're going to develop and comorbidities and what have you. And because of, you know, food deserts and a lot of socioeconomic factors. The first thing I thought of was you can't really tell people, I mean, anybody like, okay, well now you need to eat low sodium without addressing like culture and family dynamics. And family health are a huge thing. And I mean, just, it's just at the end of the day, everyone is different and we can't put just one person in a box as much as we want to say you know everyone is the same when it comes to health and specifically 
there are certain things that we need to pay more attention to in this race or ethnicity um, than others. And we can't mm-hmm. have a standard of care without taking into consideration those differences. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, and even now, the standard of care is not based off of a worldly population. It's just based off of, you know, who seeks healthcare the most, which so happens to be um, Caucasian people. And there's probably multiple reasons for that. Like there's um, probably trust with the healthcare community and access with, you know, as far as neighborhoods and social status. And um, so there's probably like, there's, there's several things happening. And uh, I kind of want to talk about how the pandemic is affecting this. Cause I think what um, we're seeing, especially with the uh, oxygen saturation levels um, and not, not, I feel like there's not only the lack of trust and the lack of access, but then you pile on top of that, the lack of diversity in interpreting these tests and the lack of knowledge and knowing that oxygen levels are, are not as accurate um, through a pulse ox. And uh, I, I believe, um, and so I want to hear your thoughts on this, that this is contributing to uh, the, the reason we're seeing higher death rates from uh, coronavirus in these patients. Um, like I would be devastated to think that someone was sent, at, you know, hey, you're oxygen levels were okay, so we're going to send you home, and then they go home and die because it wasn't accurate. And that's been one of the indicators for whether they should be hospitalized or sent home. I mean, it's unfortunate that it's coming down to that, but because of our hospitals being overrun, it's it's coming down to that minutia of data. And like you said, for it to be potentially skewed, is a huge disservice to a certain population in addition to you know already being marginalized in terms of job security and you know food availability before the pandemic and that's Mm -hmm. only been emphasized more or worsened because of that pandemic and then you're you know these people already don't trust the healthcare system and you're talking about a disease that, which at first a lot of people didn't even believe in. Right. Especially African-American population. Like I can't even tell you how many of my family members reached out to me saying like, oh, do you think this is real or is this just made up by the government? Or can't I just you know, use some mouthwash and clean out the virus? And I'm like this, and these are things that they really believe. Right, right. And I, as you know, being a healthcare provider, I find I find it crazy. But I have to put myself in their shoes and say, you know, these are things that they're getting from the media or things that, you know, historically in the Black community, we believe a lot in like holistic medicine or you know, mm-hmm. take this this tea or Grandmama used to make this for me when I was sick and I it'll you know run it out of you like you don't need to go to the doctor. Um, <laughs> So it's it's not 
too far-fetched to believe like, oh, I can just do this and it'll take care of it. Like, I don't need to go to the doctor because we've either been turned away for centuries or we have been able to go or, you know, I'm going to the doctor. Even as a healthcare provider, I've experienced speaking my truth and when it comes to my healthcare and not being believed. And it's not until I say that I, I work in healthcare that it's like, oh, yeah, well, let me run this test or do this. And it's like, mm-hmm. I shouldn't have to say that. Right, right. And I purposely don't put that on any of my forms or don't mention that in casual conversation just to see if I'm going to be treated like everyone else. Mm-hmm. So I have that ability, ability to say that and get different treatment. Others don't. And that's why I encourage whenever family members go to the hospital or anything, if they have any questions or they feel that they're not being listen to please call me because i will be that person to advocate for you and you know just educating you know friends and family what they should be asking for and the level of care they should expect to receive absolutely no i'm i totally agree like 100 percent. it's hard um have multiple thoughts at the same time. Uh, I recently listened to um, this uh, recording where a physician was saying that you can't really com- compare physician assistant, nurse practitioners, and physicians because you know based on their education. Um, because at the end of the day, every single provider is different because we don't have good mentorship programs. Like we don't have um, like pilots have to undergo this intense mentorship program and to be cleared to fly planes because they could kill people. And we don't do that in healthcare. Um, I'm sure it's a financial constraint <laughs> is, is why we don't. And that it's not as, um, it's not as publicly visible who's a, who's a bad provider compared to a good provider. Um, so, so it's interesting that you say that because I feel like I've definitely been to providers before where I've been like, well, psh, never going to see you again. You know, you, but I know what I'm talking about. And so I'm always at like, always my family members, please tell me what they said. Please tell me what you said. <laughs> it's it's a yeah. lot. And it's, it's unfortunate that, and so people feel like, okay, well, I'll advocate for myself by doing my own research, but then they Google or WebMD something and they're either fine or they've got, they're going to die of cancer in 10 days. So it's, it's a lot, it's a lot. So what would you say um, to healthcare professionals? Like what, what do we need to do to advocate for our patients, especially people like me who are not black. And so that's the first thing people are going to see is that I'm not black. So how do I advocate for my black patients? So it's, <clears throat> it's easy to become jaded within healthcare, and I feel like that's why, as a nurse, it's so easy to you know job hop and switch around because you don't want to become that nurse or that person who's been on the unit for thirty years and you're you know everybody is just being extra and whatnot. But and especially during the pandemic, I doing COVID testing and taking care of COVID patients, I became really burnt out while in school working another job it's super easy so first and foremost you need to recognize that that 
is a reality and that may be you. If you're looking at, you know, waking up, going to work with begrudgingly and you're like, I just know I'm going to run into this, this, and this. Mm. You can't put that in every patient. And every patient is coming there because they need help. Of course, you're going to have your mean patients and anything. At the end of the day, it's customer service. So you're going to have those intermixed, but don't put that blanket over everyone mm. and really listen and take the time because I feel like a lot of times we don't listen enough. And if you listen enough, the patient is telling you what they need or, you know, even if it's just, you know, Mrs. Smith comes in here every, every couple of weeks saying the same stuff and Mrs. Smith needs a friend and she, her kids don't come and visit her. And yeah, it's easier to turn Mrs. Smith away because she's not sick, but maybe give Mrs. Smith some resources so she can mm-hmm. have somebody that she can talk to and she won't come back into your practice anymore. Hmm. Or, you know, just small things like that. Listening, I feel like, is first and foremost when, you come, when it comes to advocacy, um, regardless of race or um, ethnicity, but also recognizing that for certain people in the population, it was hard for them just to be there, just to come to you in their most vulnerable state and say, hmm. hey, I need help, hmm. especially for an African-American male who's constantly seen as you know violent or aggressive for them to say like hey i have this pain somewhere Mm. like that's a lot for them they're being vulnerable and they're putting their what little trust they have in you to help them and even if they're not receptive to it they're listening it's going to be it may take a little more but they're listening and so i would say first and foremost is listening and recognizing that that person is there for a reason. Hmm. I love that you brought up burnout and that we have to address our own needs because how else are we going to be sensitive and caring for other people? And that's definitely one of the biggest challenges I think for healthcare professionals right now is, uh, and, and I see it a lot where we have one unit in particular where I work that is all new grads and, and travelers and, and the amount of deer in headlights or eye rolling that I see just astounds me. It's like, we, this is not sustainable or a good way to function. And it's not going to give, um, the patients, the care that they need. Um, so yeah, like starting, starting with yourself and then being cognizant of that. Sometimes I definitely have to take a deep breath before I go into a room and regroup. Uh, okay, what am I going to, I just need to sit and be quiet and let the patient tell me. Um, and then the other thing you said about Mrs. Smith just needs a friend. Uh, when I first started practicing as a nurse practitioner in family practice, I had that patient she would come in every two weeks with high blood pressure and and I would give her a prescription or a sample and she just wouldn't take it. She would be like, well, I mixed this with this and then I did this because I felt like this. And so I just, I just need to come back because I don't think this is working for me. And I'm like, well, it's not working because you're not taking it. And it really, it took months for me to figure out that it wasn't her blood pressure, <laughs> that it was... Yep. She just, she liked me. And so she wanted to keep coming in and seeing me, which is kind of an expensive way to address loneliness. So uh, it's good to 
be aware of that. And, and uh, pre-pandemic, obviously, there were a lot easier ways to address loneliness than post-pandemic. But um, it's the, there are a lot of challenges. We face a lot of challenges. And so I think, I hope that uh, what people get from this conversation is um, just being aware of uh, of the challenges that a lot of people face. And if, especially regardless of your race, but especially if you're a, a white uh, healthcare professional and you have a, a black patient being aware of that, that that's a lot for them to be there seeing you. Of course, or, yeah. Because with awareness breeds education, breeds empathy, breeds, you know, change. If you're not aware of a problem, you're not going to work to fix it or find out why it is what it is. And so awareness, I feel like it's a good word for 2020 and 2021. 2021. Man, when everybody was like, oh, 2020's over, I was like, it's, <laughs> I don't know what you thought was going to be different. I don't know <laughs> where you guys are, but it hasn't changed for me. I don't know when the new year is going to pop up, but not quite there. <laughs> so have you seen um race so have you been giving the vaccine that's one of the questions i wanted to ask have you been uh involved in the vaccine distribution i'm actually volunteering on saturday to do awesome. it um, and i just got last week which is crazy but yeah you got your first dose or your second dose first okay awesome did you have any side effects I did. So the first day I had a headache and then the second day I had around the injection site, the site it was very red and swollen and tender. Mm-hmm. And I put myself in patient mode for a second. And I was like, oh, should I call? Is this an allergic reaction? And then I'm like, okay, Aaron, obviously you can breathe. You're not, your throat's not scratchy, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously it's resolved since then, but... <clears throat> Yeah, it's, you know, it's new for everyone. We're just as scared as everyone else. So, but, you know, at the end of the day, I just felt compelled to, it's out there. They're not going to kill off a large part of our population with the messed up vaccine. So here we are. (laughs) That was your, that that was your, (laughs) Your conclusion. It's just, it won't kill a bunch of us. So I'll just get it. Yeah. <laughs> already killed a lot of us. So there you go. There you go. Uh, yeah. I heard the data was, from the CDC was two per million for Moderna anaphylaxis and then six per million for Pfizer anaphylaxis, but, uh, but uh, like 16,000 deaths per million for coat if you actually get the virus did you ever have the virus i did i got it back in august yes got it back in august um when i was doing the COVID testing and but it was so weird because the only reason i tested myself was because my dad was coming into town Mm. otherwise i would not have and i'm so glad that i did obviously but it was just a week or so before then. I thought I had, you know, my allergies were flaring up. Other than that, I was one of the lucky ones and didn't necessarily you know, have any lasting effects or anything like that. But yeah, I did have it and I had antibodies for a while. Okay, good. 
Yeah. We know about the antibody test. It said that I had antibodies. (laughs) Like, uh... (laughs) yeah. I mean, it's still a new, it's it's a new thing. We're still learning so much. We still don't know how long these antibodies are going to last for, even with the vaccine. So, right, right. But it's been over a year, so we'll just keep hoping. Yeah, that's all we can do. Keep researching, keep pushing forward. Um, Ariel, this has been such a pleasure, as always. I just could talk to you forever. Um, what would be some takeaways today that, that you want to share with everybody? Takeaways. Awareness. Being aware of yourself and your feelings, and then also being aware of what that patient may be going through beyond the prescription or the diagnoses and self-care, especially for if 2020 is not taught us anything is to take care of ourselves before we are able to take care of others. So take that time, take those 10 minutes um, and reflect on the day or just relax and watch TV. It's okay. <laughs> I, uh, my mantra my mantra lately has been rest is productive it is and that is something that I because I've always at one point in time had multiple jobs or been in school so I've always just been going 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 and recently my schedule has simplified a little bit and I've as much as I have a little anxiety about like oh I should be doing this and this and this I'm also like this is good you've been going hard for past few years like take this time really figure out what you want to do and then you'll have the energy to do it awesome i love it and part of the awareness i just want to reiterate is that um for provide for healthcare professionals to be aware that that we have these inherent biases just in our testing and to uh be cognizant of that and and be more aggressive and not dismissive of the of your black patients and your black population. Absolutely. That's my that's been my takeaway whenever I'm reading everything about it is well, I'm obviously not being aggressive enough and I just need to be more aggressive. <laughs> and it's mostly about research too. I mean even with this we've seen it with the COVID vaccine. And I'm sure it's hard on both sides. Like I wouldn't necessarily be a part of the COVID vaccine trial. However, hopefully some very brave <laughs> would that way we can improve our hair. <laughs> but you know, it's, it starts uh, with research. Yes. Well, so I, I thought, so even though I was kind of wrapping up, I do want to, I'm glad you said that, but reminded me that I had listened to this, um, this talk, uh, and I wish I could remember her name, but she's one of the, um, black female cardiologists in the Piedmont system. And, uh, and she talked exactly just about that. She said, um, not only are there these inherent racial biases that, that people carry and have this lack of trust in the healthcare system, but, um, and then there's these biases within uh, the healthcare industry infrastructure itself when it comes to like hiring um, black people in the leadership roles. Uh, she said that um, P- 
people who tend to be black and go into uh, medicine or healthcare um, want to take care of their people. And so they'll be out in the community and, and not pursue those leadership roles. And so you don't see them leading research studies and things like that. And so then black people even more so don't want to be participants. Well, why should I volunteer? People who look like me are not even leading this. Um, so she, she advocated for not just us to be aware of our, our training and hiring process when it comes to diversity, but also being aware of um, uh, within the black community, if you are a healthcare provider, how do you uh, be an example and step up into leadership roles and stuff like that. So that was interesting. Right. Yeah, that is a great perspective because it's something that I've kind of struggled with wanting to be out there in the community and doing things, but then also recognizing that what's going to make the most change, even if it's not making the patient impact, but change within our healthcare systems is being in those leadership positions and being in those boardrooms where decisions are ultimately made because any healthcare system, clinic, wherever you work, it's not really the providers making the final decision. And so we need to be in those rooms in administration and, you know, the higher ups, what have you, um, to make those decisions. I love it. We need awareness, leadership, yes. and all of the things. All of those. You are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything you want to plug for anybody are, are there any events coming up what's going on in your world what is going on in my world i recently started a blog that was like a, per, a very personal venture of mine um yeah it's about all things it's very like non-healthcare related but all things travel food just like nice my out of the white coat passions what is uh what's the name of your blog flights and bites with a oh so yeah that's just a little fun creative part of my self-care yes. and then um yeah i recently spoke with diana and with her that i'm looking for policy oh yes 100 percent. we need you love it. All right, Ariel, it's been a pleasure. Thank you everyone who have listened. Um, you get some links to some things, including Ariel's blog and the show notes. And y'all let us know what your thoughts are. Bye.